On this episode of the Talent Cast, I make a wildly outlandish, crazy claim, and then I try in vain to back it up. Wait, hold on. That's every episode. We'll be right back. Howdy. Welcome to the Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I, am always, am your host, James Ellis. Uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers, and thus, we are here. This podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever. We've instituted a 100% no-pitching rule. We're here to learn, teach, and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers. I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, you can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, as always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at thetalentcast.com. Thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, here we go. Hope you enjoy. James Ellis here. So glad you could join us. Uh, yeah, HR hates recruitment marketing. I'm first off. I'm gonna put like all sorts of kind of like asterisks on this statement. First off, this isn't about anybody impersonal, anyone individual. If I know you and you're in HR, this isn't about you at all. <laughs> I'm here to kind of put together an idea, and this seemed like to be the most interesting kind of way of framing the idea. Uh, what idea is that? Okay, well, let's 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 take a couple steps back. What James taking a couple steps back? Yeah, that's what he does. He likes to take a couple steps back. He likes to use a metaphor. He likes to evolve the funnel. That's what he does. He and occasionally, apparently, talks in the third person. So that's new. I should see my doctor about that. Anywho, let's take a couple steps back. In the marketing world, in the marketing world, there's this idea, and I think it should be more widely held, frankly. Um, but it is 100,000% true, and that is the most uh, rare thing, the most uh, coveted thing, the hardest thing to get a hold of is not money, it's not time, it's not eyeballs, it's not uh, viral messaging, it's attention. It's attention. And marketing has always been driven by attention. Now, the thing is, for a very, 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 very long time, when it was about billboards and TV commercials and radio jingles, attention wasn't really what you had to do. I mean, you, you were there, you had your 30-second spot, you had your uh, 200 square feet of sky that you were yours, and you just had to uh, put your message out. Now, what happened, of course, is that as uh, people got better, as marketers got better, what they focused on was getting your attention because they knew the best product in the world, the best idea in the world, the best message in the world meant exactly squat if you didn't pay attention. Thus, we have the Energizer Bunny. Energizer Bunny, okay, sure, it, it's just a thing to grab attention. Remember the original commercials that would start with a different commercial, like a shaving commercial, and suddenly the Energizer Bunny would come barreling through and going and going, and it would just do a very different series of commercials. The idea was to get your attention, to break the frame, to try something different, anything to get your attention so that you could remember whether this brand of batteries was Rayovac, Duracell, or Energizer. 
that's what it was. The game was about attention. Once we had, you know, once marketers had your attention, then a whole other slew of, you know, tricks and techniques got applied. But in the end, it started with your attention. You don't get attention. And here's where things get interesting. You don't get attention by doing what everybody else does. Okay. If you are, I don't know, trying to sell, hey, let's go back to batteries. What the heck? If you're trying to sell a battery, you don't make a battery that looks like everybody else's battery. You don't make a ba claims that sound like everybody else's claims. You don't try and become yet another. You don't, you have to stand out. You have to be different. You have to do something interesting in order to gain some attention, right? If you don't try and gain that attention, if you don't try and differentiate yourself, and there's an interesting word we'll come back to, if you don't try and differentiate yourself, you are a commodity, right? Think back to the PC days, for those of you who are old enough to remember that, before we all had iPads and laptops. Um, they were just gray boxes, right? It didn't matter if it came from Gateway or IBM or uh, Dell or Compaq. They were just gray, big old hulking aluminum and steel boxes. You slapped some components in and away you went. What mattered was the operating system and the games and the software and the tools you put on top of it. What happened with Apple was that, you know, they differentiated themselves. We said, look, we're making our computers look different. And that's the original iMac, the one that looked like a fishbowl with a handle on it. Weird, though it was, it was certainly different. That's what made Apple Apple. When Steve Jobs came back, when he threw out half of the, you know, skews and said, okay, we're building too many add-on components. We're building too many Me Too and commoditized components. We have to be different. The only way to challenge the industry is by being different. Right, and that's the same if you know uh, Audi. For those of you who like cars, for a long time Audi was a not even also ran. It was a barely ran in the '80s and '90s. It was barely noticed as a brand. In fact, for a while, it got famous because somebody claimed that occasionally the accelerator would just go off out of nowhere and they would run things over, and they would claim that Audi's cars were bad that way. Turns out they weren't, and but the news was bad enough that it completely decimated the brand here in the U.S. And so what did Audi do? Eventually they got around to the fact they went, okay, we have to be different. In order to compete with Mercedes and BMW and other high-end brands like that, we have to be different. And what's their different? That four-wheel drive thing, the quad, whatever the heck it is. But they were the only company to make a nice car that had four-wheel drive. And it was enough of a differentiator to kind of put a foothold into the space. And it turns out all of their cars now, four-wheel drive. It's what makes Audi an Audi. Now, of course, now you can't turn around in most major cities without hitting an Audi. Uh, that's how that works. You have to differentiate. The differentiation allows you to put your plant your flag a little bit and say, this is my space. This is who I am. It allows you to put a mes message that gains attention. If Audi said, look, we are the fourth largest German car company, who cares? If we say, oh, yeah, Mercedes did X and Y and BMW did Z and A, and we said, we did two, two years later. No one wants to be a me too. No one wants to be a commodity. No one, wants to be, no one wants to be that. If you want to be a good marketer, that is if you want your product to succeed and all good products need marketing. I don't care what Steve Jobs says about marketing being a tax. I think he said it about advertising, but you know, that bad was a, the, the marketing was a tax on, on bad products. Was it Steve Jobs or Google? I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the idea is that you have to differentiate. You have to gain attention. Now you don't need to advertise these, this difference. That's just how the old world used to work. Think back, was it 10 years ago? Not, no, 12 years ago. Wow, it's a long time. Uh, Gmail announced on fourth of July, on, on, on uh, April 1st, Fool's Day, April Fool's Day here, uh, which was weird, strange choice. But they offered 
free email at a time with a huge amount of space. At the time, it was a couple of gigs. At a time when you know Hotmail and the like were offering you megs of space, it was a huge amount of space. At the time, it felt like an almost infinite amount of space. Now, why did a lot of people flock to Gmail? Well, because it was different. They differentiated by saying, look, not only is it faster than Yahoo and AOL and those other properties and Hotmail, it is bigger. You have a lot more space, not a little more space, but a significantly different, a significant difference in terms of space. It wasn't double. It was like 40 times the space. It was an insane number. And there's even a little ticker at the bottom that says, hey, every day we add a little more space. And it actually ticked up every day. You got a little more available space in your Gmail drive. And then, of course, Gmail beget Google Docs, which beget Google Drive, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you, the only way to succeed is by being different, by gaining the attention of people, by being so significantly different that they pay attention to it. The game for marketers is not about how many advertising units you can drive. It's not about having a clever catchphrase. It's about how in the heck do you get somebody's attention in a world where everybody's so insanely busy that I'm stunned anyone listens to this stupid podcast right? This is 30 to 45 minutes of me. How in the hell did I get your attention? Well, I have to be different. I have to be, if not smart, then certainly funny. I have to be different from other HR and employer brand or a recruitment marketing employer brand kind of podcast. That's how I have to differentiate myself. I refuse to be yet another podcast. I refuse. Everybody does interviews. I will do it a different way. I will not be a commodity. I will differentiate wherever I can. Okay. So what in the world does that mean at all for you? Why do you care? Why does this matter? Why did I just drive eight minutes to get to this particular spot? Well, the fight is about attention. And if the, the way you get attention, <clears throat> excuse me, and to some extent you could say it's not the war for talent, it's the war for attention. And I think that is actually fair. Uh, and not Tom Peters in his fight against war-based metaphors notwithstanding. And I'm sorry, Tom, but, you know, there it is. Um, if it's a war for attention and you have to differentiate yourself to gain any kind of attention... Why are we talking about this? Well, I'm going to put a pin in that. I'm going to come back in another direction. I'm going to talk about HR. Now, as I started with, this isn't an attack on HR. This isn't a personal thing on HR. I know lots of HR people. I like lots of HR people. Uh, I've met good. I've met bad. It doesn't matter. Their HR people are not the kind of people. No one. The joke I like to make is that no one gets into HR because they like the fast-paced nature of change. People love HR. People are good at HR because they, they're in love with rules. Now, I don't mean that pejoratively because I swear to you, and this isn't going to sound like a joke, but my, that's my wife. <laughs> my wife loves rules. She likes to make rules, and then she likes to follow her rules. Rules are there for a reason. You make smart rules because you need to have rules. You need to have structure. You need to have a process in place. And if it's done well, it saves you time, energy, thought, cognitive load, all that stuff. Rules are good. Now, me... <laughs> As you can guess, I there has there are very few very few rules I haven't been interested in at least trying to break. How does this marriage work? That's a whole separate podcast. Anyway, but it's true. HR loves rules. Look, you don't believe me? Go look at your employee handbook. Go look at the tome of a binder of your employee handbook. And every single one of those lines should have somebody's name written next to them. The person who did something stupid that now you had to write a rule for to say, yeah, that's the Bob rule. That's the Jane rule. Yeah, you, you, you can't come in drunk. That's the Suzanne rule. <laughs> sorry, if there's someone named Suzanne, I'm sorry. I don't know why I can't pick up that name. Uh, you have to wear clothes every day at work. That's the Bob rule. Oh, Bob. Oh, Bob. Um, those are rules. Those rules, you know, that we had to make and we put in place because 
we had to put rules in place and we add to them and there are some rules that we put in place or, and we kind of let them be and they sit there for a very very long time they become kind of legacy rules or even vestigial rules where they linger and maybe you don't even remember why you have them how many of you have employee handbooks that reference what you're allowed to do on a fax machine <laughs> right Remember the days when email first came out and we had to kind of have rules about how you used email? Do you remember when Facebook came out and we suddenly all were on Facebook and HR had to have a conversation about do we have a rule about social media at the workplace? Some of you had that conversation. Some were you involved in those conversations. HR loves rules. HR loves rules. And the thing about building rules for other people is that you kind of have to focus on the middle, right? If you have a room full of Nobel-winning geniuses, you make the rule, assuming the room is always going to be filled with Nobel-winning geniuses. You make a rule for the average of the room. If your company is like every other company, you've got some smart people and some not-so-smart people and plenty of people in the middle because that's life, um, you make the rule for the middle. And you say, okay, I know you're smart. You're going to have to understand that we had to do this, maybe not quite least common denominator, but certainly in the middle. And for the people who aren't in the middle, you've got to catch up a little bit. You make rules for the middle. You make rules for the masses. Those rules don't always apply to everybody evenly and equally. For example, if you have a rule against Facebook and your CEO posts on Facebook during office hours, are you firing him? No, or her, sorry, that was weird. Uh, no, of course not. CEOs have different rules. They have different ways of applying those rules to them. And if they said something naughty or horrible or stupid, yes, you might kind of slap them on the wrist, him or her. I don't know why the gender thing throws me. We need a, we need a just completely non-gender specific <laughs> noun and them is kind of weird. Anyway, you don't apply the rule to everybody the same way, but you still have to make the rule. You still have to say sometimes it's our tension, intention to say, look, we want you to be here at work working. And it's not a place to do Facebook. It's not a place to do your podcast. It's not a place to do YouTube videos. It's a place for work, and thus we should focus on that. Now, the nice part is, is that at some, there's got to be companies who made rules for Facebook, and then it turns out 10 more social media channels popped right up, and they had to wonder, do we have to make rules for each individual one? This is how HR thinks. For better or for worse, this is how HR thinks. There's a reason why people get into HR and they don't go into marketing or sales or development, for example. It's not a good or bad thing. It's different. I am not an HR person. I'm not good at HR. I do not like rules. I, like, I don't like to make rules. I like to break rules. I tend to make changes all the time. I do not like structure. That's me. I would not be happy in an HR role. And yet here I am surrounded by HR all the time, which is we can talk about that separately. So here we have a world in which in order to do good marketing, in order to, do, to tell a good tale and you have to grab people's attention, you have to be different. And there you have HR who really says, whatever you do, don't be different. It makes our lives harder. We want things structured. We want things by the book. And that's why when in my old life, I used to go into and talk to big companies and they would talk about best practices and we would pitch them an idea and they would ask and they'd say, hey, that's great. That's a great idea. Can you show me the 10 other companies who did that better or did that really, really well? And we can play follow the leader. Now they never said, so we can play follow the leader, but that was the unspoken term. If I'm pitching massive company X or Y, and I say, here's a crazy idea, you should make a podcast. And you should interview your staff and talk about what it's like to work there and why they love working there. And they would say, great, that's a fantastic idea. I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. Have you listened to Serial? Have you listened to S-Town? Have you listened to Invisibilia? Whatever it is, they love podcasts. This is a great idea. What other companies are doing this? Because we really won't do it unless we know other companies have done it. Which is kind of crazy because 
that's, you know, they ask for innovation and you give it to them and they say, sure, show me the other companies who've done it, to which you say, then I guess that is an innovation, <laughs> right? HR is terrified of blazing a trail. They like to make rules. And if they make rules and they're going to make a rule, they want to know all the implications. And the best way to learn that is not to go and blaze a trail and trip on your feet and fall down a couple of times and figure it out. That's an inefficient means of making and developing and understand the rules. The most efficient way is to turn around, look at a company just like you who's doing it and saying, I'm just going to follow what they do. HR loves best practices. They love them because this, you're saying this is a tried and true way of doing it. The problem is in a world, especially for a recruitment marketer, in a world where our job is not to be the same, but in fact to stand out and be different, to get attention. And by the way, I should guess I should clearly state, if you are doing what everybody else does, how in the world are you getting attention, right? If you are uh, yet another company, if you're yet another PC company making the exact same aluminum and steel gray box, beige box, how do you stand out? You have to do something to stand out. And the problem is HR hates it when you stand out because it likes to make rules. It likes to follow that process. It likes to make sure it's doing it right. Let's put another wrinkle on that one. Best practices, for lack of a better phrase, suck. They're stupid. They're dumb. They are absolute meeting in the middle. So let's say you run a fast food company. And let's say you find that when you put a commercial on Facebook, it works really, really well. You get great conversion. Let's say your friend owns a B2B company. And when they put a coupon on Facebook, it goes exactly nowhere because nobody goes on Facebook to look for coupons for B2B software. Okay, the best practice is to use Facebook sometimes. Huh? No, the best practice is to say, the smart thinking is, look, there are occasions when a user who is on Facebook is the right kind of user we're looking for, and they're in the right mind space to absorb a message, and they're in the right mind space to convert and click a thing or do a thing. That's when we decide to do a Facebook ad. If you decide your audience well, isn't on Facebook, isn't using Facebook like that, is only using it on the weekends for whatever reason, you don't put a B2B ad there. It doesn't make any sense. They're not in that headspace. The best practice says, we've aggregated all the data from all the different companies and all the different industries, and here's the middle ground, and here's the best time. Here's the best way. Here's the average best. And I think that's junk. These, this is the same thinking that says, you should always tweet at Tuesday at 3 p.m. because that's when lots of people are on Twitter. Okay, hold on. Let's stop and think about this one for a minute because this is one of my pet peeves. The thinking that says, this is the optimal time to post to Twitter because this is what this is when everyone's on Twitter, and based on our research at a thousand companies, this is when your posts generally tend to get more clicked, is wrong on a lot of levels. And I'm gonna break it down in real quick. First off, Twitter's no longer chronological, it's algorithmic, meaning when you post it, it's not when people see it. Two, if it's widely known that third Tuesday at 3 p.m. or whatever time it is, is the best time to publish, and it's not a secret, and you, weren't, you didn't pay to do primary research to develop that number, can't we say it's safe to assume that everybody knows that information and thus everyone is posting then? And if everyone's posting, then how in the heck do you stand out? See? This is what best practices kill. They kill, they focus on the average, they focus on the middle, they focus on the kind of mediocre middle. Marketing that focuses on the mediocre middle is marketing that fails every single time. This is not a joke. This isn't hyperbole. Marketing that focuses on the middle fails every single time. Marketing that works is marketing that does something different.
as you know by now, this is a pitch-free zone. This is all about education. This is all about learning something. This is all about helping each other and taking what we're learning from each other and, and passing it along to the next person. So that means this is free. I mean, in every complete sense of the word, free. What I'm going to ask, though, instead of a credit card number, is that you simply share this and that you review this on iTunes or Google Play. I, that's that's the thing that gets this in front of as many people as possible. I'm doing this because I love doing it, but frankly, the more people listen to it, the more I love doing it. Go to iTunes. It takes a couple of seconds to just simply throw a couple of star review on that one and maybe say something nice or not. Complain. Feel free. I don't care. Uh, but the more reviews we get, the better off the show ends up being. So that's all I'm asking for. Otherwise, uh, have a great rest of the podcast. Here we go back to the, the show. dare you to bring me a commercial or an ad that doesn't abide by that. You want to go back to the 60s and the Volkswagen and the Lemon and just think big ads? They did something different. Energizer, breaking the frame, different. It's all different. It's all about showing some sort of difference. And HR is fundamentally opposed to that thinking. This isn't about diversity of thought or diversity ideas. This is simply an idea that they like rules and they like structure. And what they want is a map to follow and do the thing over and over again. And that's why they hate recruitment marketing. They're fundamental differences in thought and how you apply things. In the war for attention, you have to stand up and yell a little bit louder or yell in a funny accent or yell in a funny way while you're wearing a chicken outfit or something that stands out, something that makes people go, of the thousand yell people yelling at me right now, you're the one I decided to pay attention to. And it is 100% hubris, hubris and ego to think by following the leader, by doing what everybody else does, I'll naturally get some of the audience God, that's a horrible way to think. You are commodity. You are doing what everybody else is doing. You're going to fail. Now, let's talk more directly about recruitment marketing and maybe even a little bit about employer brand. The problem here is, and if we, if we can kind of take these notes and say, okay, these are interesting ideas and we don't have to embrace them wholeheartedly. You don't have to embrace the, this idea that mediocre marketing sucks like I do. But if you embrace the idea that best practices are not always the best way to go, and in fact are usually the wrong way to go, that you should not be playing follow the leader because playing follow the leader means you will get exactly no attention because you will be uh, in the middle of a mass of people just like you. You have to kind of think what's next. Before I get to that, let's take that to a completely employer brand moment, right? If you are trying to hire a project manager, and who the heck is not trying to hire a product or project manager, right? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, everybody is. Great. And every product or project manager job description is written like every other product and product project job description. Pro project, I should be more specific. This is when the rambling happens. Let's let's get clear. Okay, let's get you got a product manager. Product. I'm gonna try and get that right. You're looking for a product manager, and everybody's looking for a product manager. And your job description about a product manager sounds an awful like like every other job description for a product manager. Why? Because statistically, you probably stole some of that language from somebody else's job description, or somebody did, or they stole it from you. Who cares? They all sound alike, just like every product manager and project manager and entry-level inside salesperson and every uh, HR entry-level and every intro, intro sales or, you know, every, oh, there's huge swaths of job descriptions that effectively sound the same, right? Because the jobs are effectively the same. You don't hire an inside salesperson and say, your job is to invent a brand. <laughs> no, your job is to take calls and make calls. Your job is to do scheduled demos and set up demos and give a demo. 
Your job is to encourage people who kind of raise their hand and says, I'm kind of vaguely sort of interested in this idea and get them to the next step in the funnel next. That's the job. Sometimes you might use the phone. Sometimes you might use email. Sometimes you might swing out to their office if that's the kind of space you're in. But in the way, the job's the same. Project manager, same way. Manage all the nitty-gritty details of getting from A to Z. Product manager, same thing. You know what the job is. The job, whether you work at Google or Facebook or any other or a small company or a startup, the job is effectively the same. And if your job description sounds like everybody else's job description, meaning you're following best practices, meaning you're following the HR rules, guess what? You are a commodity. And I do not mean that nicely. I mean that as pejoratively as I can. Being a commodity sucks. You are undifferentiated, undifferent, uninteresting. You have no attention. You cannot get attention. You are doomed to fail. You are doomed to hire below 50 percentile candidates because anybody who's any good knows how to differentiate themselves and any company who's any good knows how to differentiate themselves. Go look at the, uh, the, the J.T. O'Donnells and the people who help people get uh, jobs. It's all about you have to establish your own personal brand. All that stuff. It's about establishing your personal brand. We are asking everybody who applies to make themselves a little different so that we can do a better job understanding the difference between them and the hundred other people who applied for that job. Well, physician, heal thyself. Turn it around. You have to differentiate yourself and your jobs relative to everybody else. That product manager, the one where you get a hundred resumes, guess what? They are applying at a hundred different places and they couldn't tell you the difference between any single one of them, I bet. Most of them. 90% of them are exactly the same. They're a crapshoot. They're a, you pick them. Dealer's choice. Who cares? You know, there are big companies who they know because they have some sort of connection with them or they're very well known in the space and the rest, <sighs> couldn't tell you, but they're paying and I need a job. I'd love to be in love with their mission. And maybe once I get in there and I do a little research and I can focus instead of having to blindly throw my job, my resume at a hundred virtually identical job descriptions, then I'll figure it out. Man, that sucks for both sides, for everybody involved, for you and for them, for everybody. And it doesn't have to be that way. Now, if you want to get into a full-fledged discussion of employer brand and how that's important, there's plenty of other podcasts on this podcast if you want to listen to it. But really, we're talking about differentiation. We're talking about you have to stand out for something, anything, anything. You want to stand out for having the best maternity benefits in the world? Fantastic. You want to stand out for pu pushing people harder than they've ever pushed themselves before? Go for it. You want to stand for uh, saving the world's turkeys. I don't know. Go for it. Stand for something. Be different. You have to be. You have to be. You have to be different. Otherwise, and again, depending on who, whose number you look at, there's 25 to 18 to 25 million companies in the U.S. alone. How do you stand out? You don't do it by playing follow the leader. You don't do it by abiding by best practices. You don't do it by copying job descriptions. You don't do it by waiting for everybody else to decide to get into cha channel X or message Y and then do it. You have to be different. And you can be different on a million different levels. You just have to pick one to be different about and mean it and be authentic about your difference there. That difference can be good. That difference can be bad. It's all in how you frame it. Again, I'm going to reference SpaceX because I think it's a great example. This is a company that effectively tells you as you're walking in the door, as you're submitting your resume, we're going to beat you with a stick. 
Working here is going to be the hardest job you've ever had. You will have long hours. You will work harder. You will be pushed to as far as you think you've been pushed before and then a little bit more. And if you go home and you crack and you cry or you just kind of collapse or you get drunk or whatever it is the thing you do to let us steam, that's fantastic. Come back. We're going to do it again tomorrow. That's their brand, if you can believe it. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're sticking with. Because you know why? Because they're going to Mars. And you don't go to Mars the easy way. There's no way to get to Mars the easy way. You have to go the hard way. Look at, here's a great one. Look at the Marines. Now, I'm not a big fan, but in general, their branding is amazing. We're going to work you beyond anything you've ever done before. We are going to push you and turn you into something you've never been before. That's standing for something. Wow. Agree or disagree, you, you, I don't care. That's standing for something. That's standing for some of the negative aspects of that job. They don't have to talk about how you're not getting a lot of money and all the unpleasant perks and I hope you don't get hurt because let's be fair, the healthcare system on that is not necessarily good. But it's about we're going to push you more than anybody that can ever push you before. We're going to push you and see where your limits really are. Wow, that is a powerful brand. It doesn't have to be sunshine and daisies. It doesn't have to be we're the best place to work. By the way, there is no best place to work. You want to get into that? Okay, we'll get into that. There is no such thing as the best place to work because the best place to work for you and the best place to work for me are inherently not the same place. Understand? I like challenge. I like breaking rules. I like doing things the hard way. I like pushing myself. You may not agree with all those things. Maybe some of those things are true, but not all of them. We're going to find different places where we fall in love. And that's fine. That's why you have to differentiate yourself. That's why being a commodity isn't good enough. Because if you're a commodity and someone comes in of any caliber, of any quality, you're just yet another. And it sucks to be yet another. Ask yet another hierarchical, organi- uh, hierarchical uh, uh, is organization, whatever. You know that's what Yahoo stands for, yet another hierarchical uh, something organization. It was yet another web directory when it came out and they made a joke about it. And now it, that's exactly what it is. It's just yet another search engine we don't pay attention to and yet another directory we don't pay attention to. And yet another company that, go, that, that went bye-bye. Yet another. You want to be yet another? You want to be yet another to keep doing what you're probably doing. You're fine and you're going to not go very well and there are people who are going to try and be something different who are going to eat you for lunch. Simple as that. You have to differentiate because if you don't differentiate on some level, you can't get their attention. If you can't get attention, you are a commodity. Just so we're clear, and when I say commodity, I don't mean gold. (laughs) I mean uh, pork belly. I mean coffee beans. I mean uh, frozen frozen concentrated orange juice for those of you who are trading uh, trading, uh, places fans. You're just yet another. You know, the commodity, when we talk about commodities, we say, okay, that ounce of gold and that ounce of gold are no different from each other. They're an ounce of gold, regardless of where it came from, regardless of how it's stamped, regardless of its uh, provenance, regardless of any of that stuff. So long as it's actually a, a troy ounce of that level, that quality of gold, it is exactly like every other one of them. Same for coffee, same for pork belly, same for silver, same for tin or whatever. These are commodities. No one has brand name tin. There's no premium for paying for somebody else's tin. Tin is tin. It's bauxite. You ore it, you mine it, you crush it, you turn into tin. You turn into aluminum. Boom. 
You don't want to be that. You need to be different. The only way to win this game of recruitment is to win by by getting their attention first. It all starts by getting their attention. And if you refuse to do what it takes to get their attention, you're kind of done. All right, I think I hit the notes I wanted to hit. Hey, 30 minutes, not bad. Um, as per usual, thanks for listening. I can't believe it either. Uh, you've wasted yet another half hour of your life with me. I do appreciate it. I don't understand it, but I appreciate it. Uh, uh, yeah, so if you love it, if you like it, tell friends, uh, your professional friends, because I don't think your personal friends will even care a rat's behind about what we're talking about here. But if you have pro friends getting into this stuff, I'd love to kind of get shared with them. And I do appreciate the people who've rated and reviewed me on iTunes and Google Play. I do appreciate it. Keep it up. I, I can't can't say thank you enough for that stuff. Uh, it's almost exactly why I do this. So <laughs> that kind of weird um, positive reinforcement is almost the only reason I do this, because <clears throat> this is a weird way to spend a weekend, right? Okay. Uh, if you want to talk to me, at the war for talent on Twitter or the talentcast.com. You know, find me. I'm on LinkedIn. You know how to find me. Uh, I do appreciate people who do come to me and, and, and ping me and say they like the line. That that really blows my mind. I don't get that. Um, it's not it's not modesty. It's not it's not um, false modesty. It's I literally don't understand. The, the internet's an amazing world that you can do this and people actually listen and, and respond. So thank you for all of you who have keep it up and keep sharing and I will talk to you next week. Bye. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.